ELs, we are starting a three-week series that I'm so excited about, Unlocking the Power of God in Your Life. So what are we doing as Christians if we're not experiencing the power of God? I don't have time to play church, and I don't have time to pretend. This is the real power of God that he has for you, that Jesus paid so great a price for all of us to enjoy. So I have a passion to see God's women. I have a passion to see God's people rise up and be in the position to receive. And I really believe that this first week, that's what we're talking about. Let's get our position right. Let's get our thinking and our, our lens correct and I'm calling it a case for grace because it rhymes. No, because, <laughs> because, I can't help it. Because if we see everything through the lens of grace, you will see it correctly. Because our God is a God of grace. And so I'm challenging us this morning, though. If we're still experiencing defeat, disappointment, confusion, there's no condemnation here. I'm not going to beat you up, and neither is God. But is there is good, good news. No matter where you are with your walk in the Lord, and we've experienced certain uh, freedoms and chains have broken, praise God. But there's always more. There's always more. And I love the songs that we sang this morning. I love that, that we are hungering and thirsting. And in a sense, we are desperate for a move of God in our life because it never ends and there's always, always more. And so wherever we are, I believe it is your launch site this morning. It's your springboard. It is your point A on your way to point B. But I believe me, there will be a C, D, E, F, and G, and so on because we never arrive. There's always always more. And God never runs dry. And he always has more truth for us. And I had a really interesting um, conversation with someone, and it kind of alerted me to some way that we might be thinking. And so sometimes we, we feel like, yay, I got freedom in the area of fear, worry, whatever. And I'm making 10 steps forward in this journey. But uh-oh, now I'm going 10 steps backwards because I just spent the last five minutes worrying again. Oh, man, it didn't work. I thought I was free from that. And we have this linear view, and maybe the word journey is not a good one. And she said, I thought I already dealt with that. I thought I was already. And we checked that one off. Check, got that one taken care of. Thank you, Jesus, moving on, which we should move on. But don't be surprised if God brings it back and says, maybe a better way to look at it is, we're going to peel back another layer on that, Karen. There's something a little bit deeper. And to know that, you're not taking 10 steps backwards. We have habits of responding, and so we're getting our minds renewed. We're getting a new default setting, and you just keep on uh, experiencing and claiming and the freedom that you have experienced and ask God to alert me. Every time that trigger happens, alert me so I can take authority over it so I don't feel like I'm failing. And he says, you're not failing, honey. You're just learning how to trust me. 
And he says, let me just peel back another layer. Let me, let's deal with this now. And in a way, it's a compliment. It's part of your growth because now you're ready. He's bringing it to your attention because now you're ready to deal with it and you weren't over here, but now you are. And so don't think of your Christian life as this journey where I'm taking 10 steps forward and five steps back and we're never getting anywhere. It's not about that. Look at it as a whole. He's going to peel back layer after layer and freedom upon freedom and grace upon grace. And you're just going to keep on growing. And there will be a day. When you look that thing in the eye and say, you used, you used to have authority over me, but I have learned that I have taken authority over you because it's the mighty name of Jesus that causes those chains to break. And I'm going to keep you under my feet. And that, that trick you used to play on me that I fell for any time, I'm not falling for it anymore. So you just keep walking it out. You just keep walking it out. And none of this is in our notes, so we're just going to move on. Here we go. So we're talking about intimacy with God, really. Um, unlocking the power of God suggests, number one, there is a power of God. And number two, it might be locked up and preventing some of us um, from walking in that power into seeing it activated in our lives. But the a third good news is that it can be unlocked. And we can begin to see that power of God manifest in your life every single day. We're talking about victory, aren't we? We're talking about honoring what Jesus did to the, on the cross. We're talking about walking in the finished work of what Jesus did. Philippians 3.8 says, To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of what? Knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. That's the journey. That's the process. Whatever victories or defeats we've had in the past, we're going to count them unimportant this morning, okay? And we're going to say, I believe that I'm going to be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ. So did I mention that on your tables you also have a worksheet? And we're going to be filling in the blanks together there. So we're getting there, I promise. So we're going to let everything go. And I want to just challenge you this. I may say some things you can't make your head go, huh? Do you know how much I enjoy that? <laughs> because here's the thing. I want you to keep this in mind. We've all been taught. We've all had experiences. We may even have questions, but I want us to agree to start right here. We're going to agree that everything that is said this morning has to come from the word of truth, which is the word of God. And if I'm believing anything that's incorrect, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to correct that for us. But I have to have an openness to say, God, I am willing to allow your Holy Spirit to teach me this morning, not Karen. Karen's not your teacher this morning. It's the Holy Spirit. And so everything that I say, I'm going to trust that God is speaking through me to you. Not that I'm perfect, but I believe that truth will resonate in you. I trust the Holy Spirit to bring truth to you. And so we never, uh, Ephesians 3.20 says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you. 
Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Oh my goodness, there's powerful words in that. But I love that it says, never doubt God's mighty power. Never doubt God's mighty power. And it's not just the mighty power. I know he's powerful, but don't doubt this, that it is in you. The little, two little uh, word, two letter word, in is maybe the most important part of that phrase. It says, where is God's power? In me. I know you're powerful, but sometimes I don't realize how powerful you are in me. All right, we're going to say this. Say, I will never doubt God's mighty power working in me. Ephesians 3.20. <laughs> it's the word of God. And this is where I want to live. I believe this is where you want to live. And I've got good news. We said we're desperate for a move of God. God's not going to leave you a bunch of desperate women this morning. He just won't. He's going to meet every need. In fact, exceed your wildest imagination. So, but do you ever find yourself having these thoughts? Sometimes God is angry with me. Sometimes he's happy with me. Sometimes he blesses me. Sometimes he curses me. Sometimes God cares for me. Sometimes he leaves and abandons me. Today he prospers me, but tomorrow he may take it all away and give me poverty to humble me. Today he heals me, but tomorrow he may give me a disease to teach me a lesson. Today he forgives all my sins, but tomorrow I'm responsible for all my sins. Welcome to schizophrenic Christianity. <laughs> half of it's true and half of it's false, but somehow we think they're both true. And they are opposing, uh, unpredictable, untrustworthy. How can you trust a God if these are true? But in our humanity and because of our our relationship experiences, people have let us down. But then we apply that to God, and it makes God look like he's unstable in all his ways. And James 1 calls it double-mindedness, and I call it double talk. And I want to challenge us this morning, stop the double talk. Stop the double talk. God is clear in who he is. He is clear in what his will is. And this kind of wrong believing about God and the relationship he wants to have with us causes us to think, oh, God is so mysterious. How can we know God? We just said it should be the full pursuit of our life to know him but, and to trust him. But how do you trust a God if you think he might turn around and zap you with something uh, of a disease or, or a diagnosis? When his will was expressed on the cross, when he said, I became sick so that you could be well, because he took stripes on his back and he says, by my stripes, you are healed. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But see, God's not moody and he never curses. In fact, he became a curse for you. 
He took the curse and he applied his blood and he satisfied the demand. So we're going to be talking about how to uncover some of the wrong believing that we might be approaching God. And I believe he's going to reveal that to us. But let's stop and pray right now. Father God, we just get our heart and our receptors ready to hear. And Lord, anything that challenges us, I pray that we will hold it up to the mirror of your word. And we don't want anything short of the truth of your word of God this morning. And Father God, I am not the Holy Spirit, but I believe that you are going to resonate in us today. That it will say, yes, that is truth. And if there's anything that we've been believing that is untrue, I thank you, God, that you will bring new life and new truth to replace it in the mighty name of Jesus. Can we all say amen to that? That's all we're asking God to do today. So let's go to our worksheet, truth number one. Right believing results in right living. It's not what we do, but it's what we really, truly believe in the core of our being. It will cause us to live right. And right believing comes from knowing our God, who he really is. So right believing results in right living. Right believing comes from knowing the truth about our God. So I want to talk this morning about covenant covenant we see that in the in the bible there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant and i promise we will bring this all together to move forward in receiving and unlocking the power of god in our lives today so the a covenant in its simplest form is an agreement and god made agreements with his people Way back in the Old Testament, we see the Abrahamic covenant, and he promised to be his God. He promised to multiply his descendants to cover the earth, and he promised to lead him to a promised land. He made a covenant, an agreement between God and his people. And God is a covenant-keeping God, amen? Did he not bring his people to the promised land? He did. Did, we always co did they always cooperate with the promise of God? No, they did not. And that sheds a little bit of light about how we are receiving. What do we do with the promises of God? But the old covenant um, is going to be referring to the Ten Commandments as well. The old covenant is considered the law. And so we're going to use those terms a little bit interchangeably. And the law was first given at Mount Sinai to who? Who remembers? Moses, right. And they were given the law, and what does it sound like? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We don't use the word thou much. You shall not, you shall not. And what we hear is you, you, you. It is dependent on your goodness and your obedience. Now, we need the law. As much as our culture wants to reject Jesus and reject God, what would, be, what would our culture be like if we didn't have a law that says you should not kill people? We would have a lawless society. So the laws in, in and of themselves, our, our foundation of our uh, system of law and order is really based on the Ten Commandments. 
it's kind of funny that America wants to reject God, but it's a good thing that we have those laws in place because then stealing would be okay, killing would be okay, adultery would be okay, all these things. But they're not because God said these are the parameters. This is what is the division between right and wrong. Somebody had to define it, and of course God did. But it depended on you, 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 and your obedience. And then we kind of get into these promises where he says, if my people do this, then I will bless you. That was part of the old covenant. God operated under the old covenant. And the reason he had to is because Jesus had not yet come. So we see a different way of God responding to his people than we do in the New Testament. But let's move on. When Jesus came, he ushered in a new covenant. And the new covenant sounds like this, Hebrews 8, 10, and 12. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read this, and every time you hear me say, I will, okay, I will, I want you to clap once. All right, let's practice. I will. All right, good job. Okay, somebody keep track with their toes while they're clapping. How many times we do this? For this is a covenant that I will. Make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding, and engrave them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will be merciful and gracious toward their sins. And I will not remember, I will remember their deeds of righteousness, unrighteousness no more. Whose responsibility is it now? It's not about you, 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 you performing good enough like under the old covenant. But he says, it's all about what I will do for you. And that's the new covenant. The difference between the law was based on you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Because the demand of the law was for you to perform it. Um, based on your goodness. The new covenant of grace is I will, I will, I will. And the emphasis is on God performing. The demand is now on God's goodness. And the laws are no longer on tablets of stone. He said, I will imprint them on your heart and in your mind, your innermost thoughts and understanding. Because God is merciful. The best part is the last part. He says, I will remember your deeds of unrighteousness no more. And when Jesus died, we know he did a complete work. He removed your sin. He didn't just cover it up. And then he gave you a new identity. Do you know you're no longer a sinner? You were a sinner, and then you got saved. And now you're righteous. You have moved from this camp to the other camp, the camp of death, where under the old covenant, we were responsible for our own goodness to Jesus saying, I'll take care of that for you. I will, I will, I will. And I will not hold your sins against you anymore. So now God is providing rather than demanding. And God 
wasn't a God completely operating through the law. We see God's grace coming through the Old Testament time and time and time again. So he, he provided that temporary fix for sin, they, but it had to be repeated. It was the sacrifice. It was the, the shedding of blood. If you were standing in the courts of the tabernacle at the time that uh, animals were being sacrificed, they were simply covering sins for one year. And then it had to be done again and again. And interesting, because this was God's idea. He says, I love my people so much. We're going to take care of this sin problem temporarily until Jesus comes and finishes it up. But if you were standing in that crowd, <laughs> you would have been a bloody mess by the time you left. Because apparently, not only was there blood being shed by the slitting of the throat and the killing of the animals and then the burning of the sacrifice, but then the blood was thrown onto the people. They were getting the blood. It's about the blood. It's about the blood of Jesus. And I know it sounds a little bit gross, but it was so real to the people. This blood is taking care of the sin. It is taking care of sin so that I can still have this relationship with God. Because you know what? God's a just God. And sin had to be punished. And if this sacrifice had not been made, God would have been forced to completely annihilate us. Because he can't go against that. But he loved us so much that he provided a sacrifice. He provided a way. And I love that when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says, behold, the spotless lamb of God. Those lambs have been sacrificed sometimes twice a day, different sacrifices. But I've said this before, but I think it's so important to note that no no detail go, should go unnoticed. But Jesus was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning. His precious blood was shed. He took nails in his hands and nails in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head, which was our shame. And, as his, and then he took stripes on his back, representing all the sickness that we could possibly be exposed to. And his blood, his blood, it was a bloody mess. But it was perfect blood this time. It was not a temporary fix. And while he hung on the cross from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, there were, had been temple sacrifices for centuries where there was a morning sacrifice at 9 in the morning and another one at 3 in the afternoon. But this was the final sacrifice. This was the, the blood that was going to cause God to make a new covenant with his people. And I will remember your unrighteousness no more. Because sin was completely eradicated and removed. And while Jesus was on that cross, all of God's anger, all of his wrath, all of his judgment, all of his uh, uh, condemnation that we deserved was put on his perfect, precious son. He took it for you. And he, God exhausted his wrath on his own son. And at one point, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe it was at that moment that Jesus became sin for us. And God the Father had to forsake his own son and turn his back on his son. Because do you know that you can search it out for yourselves in, in the Gospels. Jesus never re referred to God 
as God. He always said, Father. Relationship. I'm son. This is my father. I and the father are one. It's my father, my heavenly father. But at this moment, relationship was broken because now Jesus was sin. And God had to forsake his own son and turn his back on his own son so that he would never turn his back on you. I believe that was how, why Jesus sweat drops of blood in the garden. Because he knew that separation was coming. And he had never been separated. But sin did separate us. But Jesus became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm making a case for grace this morning, ladies. That is so undeserved. And I hope what that does is it lifts the burden of, of feeling like, well, I'm sinful. I can't approach God. This is getting, uh, I can't even look him in the eye. I have to avoid the word of God because he knows what I do. He knows how bad I can be. He knows my thoughts. And he says, I will remember your sins no more. I've already removed them. Would you just get in here and let me show you? That I made you righteous. I call you righteous because everything that Jesus deserved has now been put on us. Because everything that we deserved, Jesus took care of at the cross. And after this, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the return. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he says in the Hebrew he shouted one word, and he said, finished, done, sin, gone, sickness, eradicated, it's done, it's done, it's the new covenant, and he released his spirit, nobody took his life, and he didn't die until he was done. And he did it for you. Oh, God, I don't have words. I don't have words. And I have to trust that your Holy Spirit changes our hearts to see what an amazing gift you have given us. It's the work of salvation that's no longer dependent on us doing. It's what he's already done. Let's go to worksheet truth number two. These two covenants, we're going to contrast them. There's an old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. See, under law, God demanded righteousness from sinful man. And guess what? He knew we couldn't do it. But it was the demand of the law. Under grace, under the new covenant, God provides righteousness for men. And he did that when Jesus became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because we're so good, but because he's so good. And under law, God's favor did depend on man's obedience or man's goodness. But under the new covenant of grace, God's favor depends on Jesus' obedience, on Jesus' goodness. Boy, we don't deserve it. But please receive it. It is ours today. And under the law, it was do, do, do. Or you could even say you, you, you. It was all about, it was dependent on us. And God knew we would fail. God knew that we couldn't do it. But the, the, the parameters had to be put in place. But under grace, ladies, it is done, done, done. 
finished. Jesus said so. Paul explains that the new covenant replaces the old covenant. And so now the old covenant is obsolete. And we see this in Hebrews 8, 13. When God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, he makes the first one obsolete out of use. And what is obsolete out of use and annulled because of age is ripe for disappearance and to be dispensed with altogether. The old covenant was necessary until Jesus came. And then he ushered in the new covenant. But guess what he did? He fulfilled the old covenant for us. He did obey perfectly something that we could not do for ourselves. But now that is finished, Jack. The old covenant and the demand of the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. So we've been believing in, uh, if we've been believing in double-taught Christianity, so what we've technically been doing is trying to be living between two covenants. And this is what it might look like. You might constantly feel like you haven't ever done enough to gain God's approval or favor. You might avoid intimacy and relationship with him because you're always feeling guilty or ashamed. I used to start every quiet time saying, God, I'm so sorry that I haven't done this this way. I was going to get up and pray every day, and I fell back to sleep. I got really mad at my kids today, blew it again. I'm sorry. As if I couldn't have relationship with him until I cleared my own conscience and thought, well, he's not really going to hear me unless I take care of this myself. Well, guess what? Yeah, it's good to recognize those things. But don't stay in that place of condemnation because he's not holding it against you. He says, come on, come on, come on. Come on. I took care of that. Just receive it. Let's move on. I've got so much for you. I've got life for you. I want intimacy with you. I want you to come with your chin up, look me in the eye, and know that I count you worthy to be here because I have made you righteous. But see, God's not disappointed in you. He is not mad when you're bad, but he will woo you and draw you in with his goodness. He says, come on, come on. Let me remind you who you are. You forgot who you are when you got caught up in that addiction and sin. You forgot that I made you the righteousness of God because you're still in Christ Jesus. You're, you're not running in and out of righteousness. Can we still sin? Yes, because we still have to get our minds renewed. Our flesh loves to sin. But you know what? You get your mind, your will, and your emotions lined up with the Word of God, and that takes by washing and washing and washing with the Word of God and asking God to line up your thinking and your believing with what is true, true, true of the Word of God because your spirit girl is saved and walled to all Holy Ghost, has no desire for sin, never gets depressed, always loves God, always wants to do right, desires, hungers, and thirsts after God, and now you've got your mind, will, and emotions, which is your soul, lined up with your your spirit girl, wall-to-wall Holy Ghost, and the, the majority is going to rule over the body. See, when I was walking out that healing I, in, in, in my knee, it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt, and I don't say, I'm, I don't have pain, I don't have pain, like I'm ignoring it, or like some people think that faith is saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Um, no, that's called denial. But saying, I have pain in my body, but you have no right to stay. 
I'm taking authority over you. You're not taking authority over me. Who do you think you are and who do you think you're talking to? And I don't have my sword this morning, but that's lifting up my sword. And that is walking in the power that is already in us. If you dare to speak it out, I really believe you, you can do it in your mind and you can be real quiet about it. But I will tell you what. I think if you will dare to speak it out, it moves you to a different level because you committed yourself now. You committed yourself out loud. And I really believe what you're really speaking is like, I believe this and I'm willing to declare it. And I don't care who hears it. Funny thing happened. I was going down my stairs <laughs> and I want to say, ouch, ouch, ouch. And uh, I was carrying my purse. I'm a bag girl. So I'm going down the stairs trying to get to my car. That's <laughs> allow extra five minutes because it really hurt. And I have to walk slowly. And it hurt. And I'm saying, knee in Jesus' name. I come against this pain. You can't stay. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm already the healed of the Lord. Resisting this, you've got to go. Jesus, you already paid the price. You took pain in your knees on the cross, so I don't have to have pain in mine. And all of a sudden, I hear the... Somehow, I had pocket-dialed my husband. And he's listening to me, shouting at the top of my voice. And I was a little embarrassed, I have to admit. So I didn't, I didn't, I just hung up on him. <laughs> and later he came home and I said, so, um, what'd you hear this morning? And he knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> Say it out loud. Dare to believe God and dare to declare it. Declare it. Declare it. We're not going to get through this worksheet, are we? Galatians 3, 24. So what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And let's just go through some of these quickly. Galatians 3, 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, why was the law given? To bring us to Christ. To say, I can't do this. God knew that. We're not perfect. That's why he had to send Jesus. To do it for us. See, sin came into the world through one man. Therefore, sin had to be taken out of the world through a man. That's why Jesus had to come in the flesh. That's why he laid aside his divinity. He, he set aside his power and did it as a man. Come on. That adds so much more credibility to the life of Jesus. He never sinned and he never had a thought to sin. There was no sin in him. But he did it because he knew, God knew, that we would never be able to do it. And he loved us too much to let us stay in that state of helplessness. So the law was given to bring us, uh, number three, <laughs> let's go there. God gave the law to bring man to the end of himself. So he would see his need for a savior. It shows us this is impossible. I fail, I fail, I fail, Jesus. And Jesus says, mm-hmm, we know that. We are aware. But that's why I came. So I would do it for you. So you would not have to suffer under that. See, the Pharisees were the ones who didn't see a need for a Savior, which is why. <laughs> they didn't get along. He and Jesus and the Pharisees, mm-mm, not good friends. They ended up killing him, didn't they? 
And that religious spirit that says, no, I am righteous because I'm so good, it's a nasty one. In fact, it said that the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. And ooh, what a, what a mean, nasty spirit that it would turn into a murdering spirit. Of course, we know that God saw the end from the beginning, and it ended in his justification salvation plan. Let's go to worksheet truth number four. Grace imparts righteousness. Grace imparts righteousness and has accomplished everything on your behalf. And I think we've really covered that very strongly. Grace is what we're talking about, the new covenant. It makes you righteous, not because we deserve it, but because God chose to do that for us. Oh, the love of God. Oh, the greatness of the love of God. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a man is not justified in place in right standing with God by works of the law, but only through faith in God's beloved Son, Christ Jesus. Let's not negate that word faith. That's very, very important. Second scripture we've already had that says, It's by faith in God's beloved Son, Christ Jesus, that we are now justified in place in right standing with God. It's positional. He has positioned you to receive everything that Jesus paid so great a price. But the law showed us our sinfulness. We come to the place where we're at the end of ourselves, and we say, but Jesus, if not for you, we would be lost. But the good news is we're not lost. We're rescued through Jesus. Worksheet number five. This is important to know. I am not dissing the Ten Commandments in this, all right? But it says, though the law or the Ten Commandments are holy they do not have the power to make you holy they do not have the power to make you holy they're important and they are holy but we can never perform well enough to be elevated to that place of holiness by our own works and jesus told the pharisees your works are as filthy rags but see, they boasted in their works. They depended on their works. They didn't need Jesus because they were good enough. May we never have that thought. It's not dependent on you to get God's approval. He already approves of you. Acts 13, 38 through 39. So let it be clearly known by you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes, who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior and follows him is justified. Say justified. justified. And declared free from guilt from all things from which you could not be justified in freed of guilt through the law of Moses. The law could never justify you. It only brought us to a place where we know our need. For Jesus, Romans 5.1 underscores that. Therefore, since we are justified, and I love the Amplified in this, it says, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God. Rah, through faith, there's faith again. Let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your life with him. He needs to be your very, 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 very best friend because he's such a good guy. <laughs> he's such a good God. And so all these things, if we have wrong believing, it will prevent us from enjoying peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Worksheet truth number six. 
Let's just define righteousness is right standing with God. Jesus did that for you. Righteousness, right standing with God. Justification or justified. Here's a word. I'm going to give you a little word power today. I didn't know what this word meant. Expunged. Just as if I never sinned. And we could add acquitted, declared righteous, and given right standing with God through faith. But let me just explain to you why I use the word expunged. Because the word expunged means to erase or completely remove something unwanted or unpleasant. And it makes me think of the word sponge, but it's not. Okay, it's not spelled the same way. But you use a sponge to clean and scrub. And this means that something is being completely removed and cleaned up. And so here it is, Romans 5, 1, that we just read, says that you are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, given right standing, and expunged. And I had the honor and the pleasure of writing a character reference for someone, um, and she's been very open about this, and so I'm not going to name names, but you may know who I'm talking about because she's openly shared her testimony. But 30 years ago, she spent time in prison and was given a felony. She had a felony on her record, and that limits you in the state of Michigan what you can actually pursue. And she wanted to, to um, begin to uh, move forward in a career, and she couldn't because this felony was on her record. And she said, I was guilty. I didn't know Jesus, but became radically completely transformed and for 30 years she's been sober she's been clean and so she asked apparently you can have that record expunged completely removed so I had to look it up because she said would you write me a character reference because I'm going to be I have a court date and I want my record expunged and I said mm, okay what does that mean okay I would love to do that and so I did because I've known her maybe for the last six seven years I think she's attended every Kairos and God's just completely just totally transforming her couldn't go to the court date it was up in the UP and she came back and she said the judge erased my record she was totally exonerated she was expunged it was as if she had never sinned it was as if she had never been arrested it was as if she never used or sold, sold drugs it was as if it never happened and that's what your past is like. Totally expunged. You do not walk around in shame for your past. It's been totally erased, eradicated, and totally forgiven. And not just covered with the blood. It's been washed away. You've been expunged by the blood of Jesus. And you say, but what about sin? I still have a problem. I still fail. Yep, we do. But it doesn't remove your righteousness because you didn't earn it in the first place. You can't lose it by your bad behavior. But let me just give you this because I think it's important. Titus 2.11 says, For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And this is what grace will do. This is why this is so important. That's why seeing through the lens of grace and understanding that your past has been totally expunged will help you this way. Grace teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. That is for today. It will teach you. 
You stay under the umbrella and the covering of his grace. Don't straddle two covenants and think I have to be good enough before God can bless me. I, have, I didn't believe God perfectly for this healing. There were times when I'm thinking, ow, ow, okay, this is never going away. And then I said, nope. Reel on that thought back in. I'm under the blood of Jesus. You, and then take authority again. We're not perfect. It's okay. I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm trying to take something off of you. That you're carrying a burden that you have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough on our behalf. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right. I know we have to finish here. Can I just, like rapid fire some things at you because I just want to close with this. L I want to go back to that double talk that we started with. Sometimes God is angry with me. Sometimes he's happy with me. I'm going to just throw these scriptures at you because the truth is going to eradicate, get rid of the false side so we can believe the truth about these. Sometimes God is angry with me. Sometimes he's happy with me. Romans 5, 9 says, Therefore, since we have now been justified, declared free of the guilt of sin by his blood, how much more certain is that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him? God's not mad anymore. He spent it all on Jesus. Sometimes he blesses me. Sometimes he curses me. Galatians 3, 13 says, Yet Christ paid the full price to set me free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For for it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. You are no longer under the curse. Sometimes God cares for me. Sometimes he leaves and abandons me. But Jesus himself said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor ever let you down or relax my hold on you. Surely not. Today he prospers me, but tomorrow he might take it all away and give me poverty to humble me. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. He is a generous, kind God of provision. Today he heals me, but tomorrow he may give me a disease to teach me a lesson. Deuteronomy 18 lists the curse as all manner of physical sickness. And sickness is never a blessing. Jesus never borrows from the devil to teach you anything because in John 10, 10, he makes it very clear. You can draw a line. The thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, on the other side of that, I will always give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, and it's always about life in its fullness until you overflow. Today he forgives all my sins, but tomorrow I'm responsible for my sins. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will be merciful to your iniquities, and I will remember your sins no more. Worksheet truth number seven. Yay, we got there. <laughs> God desires relationship with us. It's all about relationship, ladies. One that is dependent on his goodness alone. And I hope for some of you that burdens have been lifted because God doesn't expect you to be good enough. He says, just come, just come. Don't forget who you are. I have made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's how I see you. And that's how I relate to you. Let's pray. Jesus, oh, how can we say thank you? I pray that weights have been just shed this morning. You're not looking for us to be good, good, good. 
You're not looking for us to do, do, do to earn anything from you. You give it so freely, your approval, your love. You demonstrated it on the cross with Jesus. And we get to receive. And I pray for each and every one of us here that we will lay aside the guilt and condemnation that has kept us from you so we can move forward into deeper, intimate relationship with you. Because now we know <laughs> it's about your goodness and not mine. And all we can say is thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.